This morning I'll read from James chapter 2, verses 17 through 19. Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. Good morning. Uh, We're going to continue our series this morning. We've been looking at uh, the seven churches of Asia in the very beginning of the book of Revelation. And we looked at the first church in Ephesus who left their first love and left their first works. Even though they resisted false doctrine, they stood true to sound doctrine. And then last week, we looked at the fourth one. So there's seven of them right there in the middle. We looked at the church of Thyatira. And that church had good works, and they had more works than they had before. Notice the emphasis there throughout these churches on the emphasis on works. However, they tolerated sexual immorality, tolerated it. And they went along with those sins that are involved, along with idolatry. This morning, a very simple lesson on the last, the seventh one, the seventh church here, here in the book of Revelation. This is the church that was lukewarm. Before I get to my first slide here, I was trying to think, I was thinking, what are the kind of things that we might eat or drink that we, when if it's lukewarm, we spit it out of our mouth? Because in this passage, Jesus talks very strongly to his church. He says, you're neither hot nor cold. And when I was thinking about this lesson, I was thinking about that. Are you hot for Christ? Are you hot for Jesus? Or are you cold? This church was neither really. Lukewarm, the word there, even in Greek, is the idea that it was kind of warm, but not where you wanted it to be. You ever thought of something, I intended it to be warm, and you tasted it, and it wasn't? I started thinking a little bit further, and I thought, in the first century, what would Jesus or the early Christians or early Jews back then, the first century Jews, what would they eat? What would it be that would be lukewarm? They didn't have a refrigerator, and they didn't have all those kind of things. What would it be that would be disgusting to their taste that they would spit out? So, you ever drank or eaten anything that was lukewarm? Wanted to spit it out? Water? Soup? Meat? Locusts? Goat's milk? So I was trying to think of it. It's like, which one of those? You you ever had lukewarm milk? I think a lot of people are like, no, thank you. Or you're trying to heat up some soup, and you think, oh, it's starting to boil. You see the bubbles come, so you stir it up, and you think it must be warm now, and then you go to taste it, and it's lukewarm because it was only bubbling in the right place. Or about half the things you put in the microwave, they seem to come out lukewarm, or they soon become lukewarm because the outside of them is lava, and the inside of it is ice, and you put it in your mouth, and you start to cry, and then it becomes lukewarm. But... Those are things that I think about. But Jesus uses that illustration here. He's like, you go to get some soup and you taste it. It's supposed to be warm and it's just mildly warm. No, I don't want this. This is not what I had in mind, especially on a cold day. I wanted something warm. Or maybe it's on a hot day and you come in from the house after working in the yard or whatever, or working all day on your job. Maybe you're outside, you're sweating, you want something to drink. So you grab water or even in Gatorade, lukewarm Gatorade is horrible. Lukewarm water is not good. It doesn't quench your thirst. You might as well grab a bottle of cookie dough or something because it's not good. And here we have an illustration of a church being lukewarm. So what, what are the characteristics of a lukewarm Christian, of a congregation that's lukewarm? One of the things I get from this, if you're lukewarm, you're neither hot nor cold. It's I'm a Christian, 
I believe, but I'm not really involved or doing anything with my faith. I don't think that kind of faith is appealing to others, is it? You know, someone doesn't go around and say, I want that kind of faith, that kind of endurance where they believe in God and they believe in the Bible, but they're really not doing anything and they really haven't set themselves out to be. This morning, I want to encourage you not to get on to you. Christ does rebuke us and he does so in love when we look at the scripture, but we want to see what can we do to bring about more zeal and passion within us. And what does what do the scriptures say about that? Because this is something that we don't want to be complacent Christians. I think a lot of us realize, yeah, I've gotten lukewarm. At least I'm lukewarm. It might be worse than that because all these other churches were much worse in that sense. But Jesus says to this church, you are lukewarm. And he says, I spit you out of my mouth. So we want to consider why Christians lose their zeal, their passion, their enthusiasm, their commitment to Jesus Christ. We're going to take a look at that this morning. Andre read a passage from us right here, James chapter 2, 17 to 19. So part of the thing here is why am I not producing works? Why has my Christian faith got become lukewarm? It's just mild. It's complacent. One way, place we need to look at it first is our faith. Do I really believe in, and is my faith producing anything? So someone today might say, certainly, their belief might be good people go to heaven. I'm a good person, so I'm going to heaven. Bad reasoning. That excludes Christ. It excludes the gospel. It excludes, excludes the, the message that we as sinners need a Savior to save us, and we don't get in by saying I'm a good person. That's not how we get to eternal life, to live with God in eternity. And once you listen right here, you have these individuals, I guess you can say, who believe in God, and they believe God is one, and they even fear God and tremble. But they, they're not saved, are they? Look what the passage says. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Your faith is dead right now if you have no works in it. If this week you can look over and say, I believe in God and I believe in Christ and I believe he died for me and I believe he rose from the dead. Where are the works this week, last week that showed that? And where are the works going to be this week that show that I really believe that? If I really believe it, there's a passion, there's a zeal in me to do more and to do good for others. And he says, but someone will say, you have, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. And that's true. You have faith, you should be able to show up by what you're doing and your works. Sometimes we want the church to provide every little program and thing for us to do. But when we look in the scriptures, Christ put it more in our hands. And instead of us start starting all these programs and, and maybe charities and things like that and foundations or whatever you can come up with, and then saying, okay, people come in. We ourselves are individually people who are charities in ourselves. We're, we're showing love, the very meaning of the word charity. Our faith is active. And then we notice here, verse 19, you believe that God is one. A lot of people today, many people in this country say, do you believe in God? Yes. You believe God is one? Yes. And he says, you do well. Good. Even the demons believe and shudder. When we go through the Gospels, you see the demons believed a lot of things. They believed Jesus, Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God. They didn't save him. That's not a saving faith. They believe God is one. That's not a saving faith. They, they believe in God and they even fear him and shudder at him. But that doesn't save any demons who are wicked and do evil and have left God and abandoned him. There's no salvation there. The zeal is gone. The work is gone. All of it's gone. And then James says this, James 2 and verse 21, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. James is agreeing with Paul, I believe, and Paul said you're justified by faith apart from your works. 
That is, you, you don't make God justify you. Justify means you stand right before God, and you can't make him do that. But you're justified by faith, but if you really have faith, you're going to have works. And those together are part of you being right and being justified and standing before God. Right and pure through Jesus Christ who saves you and has died for you. So is believing in one God enough? No. In fact, the demons believe Jesus was the Son of God and the Christ. Still not enough. It has to be a faith that changes you. What we see in the book of Revelation, we look at the seven churches of Asia in the beginning of Revelation. Jesus has messages. Remember, it's all in red. It's Christ talking to these seven churches, and he's addressing all of them. And there are certain things I think we need to see about these churches that, that this description, if you have your Bible and you look in Revelation 1, because we're going to Revelation 3 in a moment, look in chapters 2 and 3. Take a look at these churches here. This is intended for us today. Look at these messages here. This is what we see overall for about these churches. We see what God expects of churches. And five of them, he tells them, will be specific, verbatim, he tells three of them to repent, the church of Laodicea. And there's another church here. I can't remember which one it was also. He did not verbatim say to repent. But all throughout chapter two, he says, repent, repent, repent. He confronts the churches that are sinning. He rebukes them. He says, you've got to change before your lampstand is taken away, before your eternal life is taken away from you. We see what God expects of churches. We see how Jesus sees churches, congregations. They're not all right. They're not all perfect. We have imperfect people and imperfect churches. We have problems, and we have sins that may need to be repented of. We also see how God judges churches. He is the just God. He knows the truth between this congregation and any other in town. He knows whether we are lukewarm or whether we have left our first love or not whether we are committed or whether we are tolerating sexual sin, he knows that. He knows whether we're just enduring persecution and that we continue to do good. We see that Christ urges churches to repent, churches to repent, and we see that God knows all churches. And that means he knows every one of us. He knows our works, he knows our hearts, he knows our minds, he knows what we're thinking. And knowing that, you can ask yourself right now, do I need to repent? Christ would tell me to. And he tells me to, as he says here in Revelation 3 and verse 19, because he loves me. He wants me to have eternal life. He wants me to be right. He wants me to demonstrate that I am a Christian, and I follow God, and I am faithful, that my faith produce work. So here's our main passage for this morning, our focus. You have your Bible, Revelation chapter 3, verse 14 to the end of the chapter. We see the church here of Laodicea. It's always easy for me to remember Laodicea, lukewarm, the L's, the kind of the alliteration right there. But I'm going to read this passage to you, and we'll make some observations about it. 14 and 22. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea, this is what Christ is saying. He says, the words of the amen, that means the word of the one who is truth, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. That's Jesus Christ. He's speaking to them. I know your works. Notice this. It's your works. You're neither cold nor hot. Would that you are either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich and I have prospered and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, 
and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. So here's a, here's a town that's prospered on eye salves and the garments and the clothing and the, the white robes and the gold. And he's telling them, Don't, you're looking everywhere else. Come to me for what you need. Look here in verse 19. Those whom I love, listen to this, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. And our key passage this month has been focused on that, Hebrews chapter 12, on God's discipline to us. He wants us to live a right life, a pure life. He'll rebuke us. He'll call us to repentance. He disciplines us. And we have a passage right here where if this morning, if I'm sitting here and I'm looking at this and I say, well, that's me, I'm lukewarm, that I want to listen to Christ, Christ says that I love you. That's what Jesus says to those who I love. And he says, and I reprove and discipline. And listen to this. What's the answer to lukewarm? He says, I reprove and discipline you for what reason, what purpose? So be zealous and repent. What's happening with this church? There's no more zeal. Verse 20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and be with him. In other words, Christ is saying, I will have fellowship with anybody. I'm here knocking. I want you. I want to be in fellowship with you. I love you. And then the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father in his throne. In other words, I want you to have eternal life. I want you to be with me in eternity. I want you to conquer just as I conquered death for you. You've got to conquer the sins and the evil in this world, follow my example. Verse 22, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So the Spirit is speaking, and Christ is speaking to this church. Here again, observations. The works of this church made the church lukewarm when they clearly lost their zeal. That was the problem with the Laodicea church. And Jesus speaks to them about that. This church boasted of prosperity and wealth. They boasted of it. They put their confidence in it. And I think a lot of Americans would say that today. They put their prosperity in America. And they worship the government. If they need something, they'd rather contact the government than pray to God. And then we see this. The church did not rely on God for their blessings, their needs. Christ says, come to me what you need. I'll give you what you need. Repent. Have zeal again. What Jesus said to this church, again, I see these points. He knew their works. I think we need to take the application of these principles that he knows us. There's no hiding from God. In fact, Hebrews 4 and verse 13 says, we are naked before God. He knows all that we do. Christ does not want lukewarm churches who do not turn to Christ. He doesn't want them. In fact, he says, I will spit them out. Not usually the picture of Christ that some people might have of Jesus. But he tells them and he warns them, don't live like this. Don't become a lukewarm church. And this one, he says, you have become that. So repent. And then we also see this. Jesus reproved and rebuked the church because he loves them. We have a little pamphlet out there in the lobby that talks about negative preaching and certain lessons like that. And there's some parts of Jesus preaching that people would say would certainly be considered negative. But these things are things that we need to hear. We need to be rebuked. We need to be reproved. We need to be disciplined. We need someone to set us in order. And we need to know, like any loving father, that Christ does it out of love. And we have God's word to affirm that for us. I want to talk about this before we finish this morning. What's the cause of being lukewarm? Again, their problem was zeal. They lost, they went away from their works, and Jesus exhorted them, those whom I love are approving discipline, so be zealous and repent. 
And I want you to notice this, just tie into that verse. Titus 2 and verse 14. Titus 2, Paul's writing to Titus and he's saying, grace teaches us to do great things. And he says this about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people. Who is that? That's the church. God wants this. This is what Jesus came for, to build his church He came and died for this. He gave himself to this to redeem us, to buy us from Satan and sin and to conquer that evil. So what? For this purpose, he redeems us from sin and lawlessness, all of it, to purify himself a people. He makes us pure and holy for his own possession who are zealous for good works. If you're of God, you're going to be zealous. Want to do good works. This is what I want to do. And that's what Christ came for to build his church. And his church was intended to be zealous and passionate and enthusiastic. Listen to Romans 12 and verse 11. Paul says this, Do not be slothful in zeal. Do not be lazy in your enthusiasm. Do not be complacent in your passion for Christ. But be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. You read those scriptures this morning, and it's not describing you. We might want to listen to Jesus saying, I love you. I rebuke and I discipline you. I call you to be zealous and repent. The question this morning, you might be, I want to be zealous. I want to do more. I want to have more passion, but I don't know what happened. I don't know how I lost my way. This is what I see from the Scriptures. It stands out mostly to me. You know, I I look in my Bible and I say, and I look at it, and I read some things about it, and I read through the Old Testament, and I read about Genesis, and I read about Moses and Israel, and those stories are encouraging to me, but for me to maintain my zeal, it's not in the law of Moses. It's not in Genesis. It really comes down to a very core doctrine of the Bible, and that is the love that Christ showed us when he died for us, and he conquered death by rising again. You feel like you don't have any passion, I would look at my focus. Am I focusing on church doctrines and theology and this and that that are distracting me and and not really about Christ? I want to make sure that I continue to see Christ loves me and he died for me. And listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. Here's the death, burial, and resurrection. This is what happens when you're focused and the gospel is on your heart. You will be fervent and you will have desire and you will be committed Paul says, for the love of Christ controls us. You ever prayed to God and said, God, I don't know what I'm doing or why I did it. And then Paul said that in Romans chapter seven. I want you to just control me. I don't want this free will anymore. My free will is to give myself completely to you. Well, God gives you a way to do that. You want him to control you and Christ to have control. That is, you still have your free will, but you're so committed and focused on God. Here it is. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this. Well, what did we conclude? That one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. Christ died for us. Therefore, we should, we're all dead and we need him and our Savior. And he died for all that those who might no longer live for themselves. It's no longer about me. It's no longer a self-centered life and a selfish life and a morality I make up on my own. I turn to God for my faith and my morals and everything about me and my love. And he says that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him, for Christ, who for their sake died and was raised. That's what the gospel does in your heart. You lost your zeal and your passion. 
Read that scripture. 1 Corinthians 15, again, the death, burial, and resurrection is the gospel. It's of first importance. You feel like you've drifted and fallen away from your faith. You've lost your zeal and your passion, your enthusiasm. I don't know of any better scripture to help correct you, to take the gospel and put it in your heart. If your focus is on church budgets and on how the order of the assembly is, and you've forgotten about Christ, go back to it. If your focus is the singing wasn't just right and it didn't sound perfect, things like that, your focus needs to come back to Christ, to the Word, to what He did. That gives you zeal and enthusiasm. So back to our very big first illustration, right out of Revelation. Is your faith like drinking lukewarm water on a hot day? It's just complacent, and I'm ready to spit it out. Christ is ready to spit it out. Are your works like eating lukewarm vegetable soup on a cold day? I want warm vegetable soup on a cold day. And if it's lukewarm, Christ says, I will spit you out. So repent, be zealous. It's your Christian zeal like eating lukewarm locusts when you're camping. Of course, you don't eat locusts. It'd be better than eating crawdads, though. But this is a biblical food. John did it out in the desert. He was committed and he was passionate. And I would rather eat locusts than to be, lose my passion and zeal for Christ. But think about those things. Things that people would eat in the first century. Jesus says, if you're lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. But I love you, I discipline you, I rebuke you. I want you to have zeal and repent. Among these churches, I ask you these few questions before we, we conclude with our invitation. Where is Dean Road among the churches in Revelation? Is this church the one that was persecuted in Pergamum? That was a good church. Christ didn't tell them to repent. They were doing good, but they were persecuted. There was a church in Philadelphia, and he said, I'm going to keep you from the tribulation going on in this world. You're doing good. You're right. I hope that that's how we stand before God. On the other hand, some of these churches had flaws within them. So we might think, is Dean Rowe the church that's left its first love, but it holds to sound doctrine? Or is this congregation producing good works, but it's compromised truth about morality? And has this congregation, have we become lukewarm? These churches read about in Revelation, and you go back and read them again, chapters 2 and 3, they'll encourage you to make a change. This morning, I encourage you to conquer with Christ. He wants you to do that. We read that this morning. We're going to read it again. Revelation 3, 20 to 22. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. This is Christ's invitation to you. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I encourage you to do that this morning. Hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Our job is to conquer, destroy every argument against Christ, take captive every thought to obey Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. This morning, if you haven't obeyed the gospel, as we've talked about, it's the death, the burial, and resurrection of Christ. If you believe more than that, God is one, but you believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he rose from the dead, you confess that faith, then you need to die to your sins like Christ died. Be buried in the waters of baptism as Christ was buried in the ground. And Christ rose from the dead, and when you rise out of the waters, your sins are forgiven. This morning, if you haven't obeyed that gospel, do it. You need to repent. You've lost your zeal. Let us pray for you. Please come right now while we stand and while we sing.